the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be together. We've got two wonderful guests today. John Schlafly, the Schlafly Report, as always. John will be in freewheeling as ever. He's working on his column today, um, so he'll be uh, testing that out on us. I think he's writing on uh, Georgia Maloney in uh, Italy. Then we'll talk with John Zadrozny of America First Legal. Uh, he went down to the border, and we'll get an update, a firsthand look, firsthand reporting, a firsthand account uh, from John Zadrozny. AFlegal.org is his website where he works. All right, but what do you need to know today? It's great news, incredible news. The question that many have ans- asked has been answered. Who is Ray Epps? Who is Ray Epps? <clears throat> now, we saw Ray Epps on video. On January 5th, 2021, he was at a rally in Washington, D.C., wearing a MAGA hat and saying, tomorrow we go to the Capitol. Everybody show up. We're going in the Capitol. We're going to do it. Tomorrow we do it. Go to the Capitol, inciting everyone, according to uh, at least the measurement of of the uh, hysteria of the select committee. And on January 6th, he was at the front lines. He wasn't at the president's speech. At the ellipse, he wasn't uh, lingering behind. He was at the front lines, whispering in the ear of people who later got arrested and encouraging people to go in there, go to the Capitol. And now Ray Epps is covered in the New York Times. They say he's a heck of a guy. He's retired, and he really doesn't can't believe he got all this attention. Well, in the last few days, our friend Congressman Tom Massey has resolved the question of who Ray Epps is by asking during the committee... What's going on here? What's going on with this guy? Why won't anybody tell us what's going on with this guy? And when he did that, Jeremy Raskin, the Democrat who is on the select committee for January 6th, as well as uh, he's on the uh, Judiciary Committee. I think that's that's what committee that was meeting. He answered the question, who is Ray Epps? And he answered the question, who is Ray Epps? Not by saying who he was, but by telling us he wouldn't tell us. Because all Massey said was, hey, wait a second. You said you would... Uh, interview this guy and you'd release the transcripts. Why haven't you released the transcripts? And he refused to answer. And then Jeremy Raskin went on this rant. Now, if you have children, you know, if you've trained your children and they're not compulsive liars and and reprobates yet, I hope they're not, you know that you can catch the children lying when they try to not answer the question. So you say, who ate the last cookie? And they say, I don't know why you're asking about the cookies. I had a terrible day at school. Okay, if you say to them, uh, did you do your homework or you didn't you you got a a bad grade on that test? Did you do your homework? They say, I got to tell you, the teacher is so difficult. She he he grades so hard, such a hard grader when they refuse to answer the basic question. Jeremy Raskin could have said something like, hey, uh, Tom Massey, we uh, we did say we'd release the transcripts. Uh, We haven't finished our process, and later on we'll get to it, Um, but there's top-secret stuff in it, and we're going to need you to go to a skiff or something. There's lots of ways he could have answered. That would have been unsatisfactory, 
But instead, he said, what's wrong with you people? There's been thousands of interviews. How, how can you ask this question? This is Jeremy Raskin. Why can you ask it? Why are you people, you people, he says, you people making uh, Ray Epps. He's just a poor schmuck. I think he said schmuck, either schmuck or schlub. I think schmuck. He's just a poor schmuck, and you're making him into something. As soon as you saw Jeremy Raskin, who I haven't thought of as a man who tells much truth, he's been way far out there in this whole process of being a partisan hack. And he's also a pretty sophisticated guy. And by that, I mean, he teaches constitutional law, constitutional law at some law school nearby in Maryland or somewhere. He's from Maryland. He's not a dummy. He knows what he's doing. And he knows that if he rants and raves and yells and screams and huffs and puffs, He's trying to distract. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's extract is distracting. And so what we know now is Ray Epps and the FBI were involved in January 6th. There's an Oath Keepers trial that started. And some of those guys, it looks like they might have done some things that were not legal, maybe push some people, hit some people. But now the government is saying you're not allowed to ask who was there from the FBI. At this point, with as much scrutiny and as much attention is on this. When Jeremy Raskin refuses to answer who this guy is and instead rants and raves, you know that there's something really wrong and there's something really going on. Maybe it's totally innocent. I don't know. Could be. It doesn't look like it. But now we know who is Ray Epps. He's somebody. He's somebody that was doing something with the government. Otherwise, they tell us. At this point, they would have a way to tell us, just like your child who has done something wrong would have a reason. And they'd say, oh, well, I didn't do well on my test because I studied the wrong section. Not you say you didn't do well on your test. And they say, oh, my gosh, the teacher's so hard. It's unfair. Teacher's unfair. You're changing the subject, which tells me all I need to know. Jeremy Raskin, in answering Thomas Massey's question by a rant, has told us everything we need to know. We now know that Ray Epps was being utilized by the FBI on January 6th or the federal government or somebody and against the people. And the fact that we're not told why and how is shame on the FBI and everybody else. So that's what you need to know. Ray Epps, we know the story now. Fantastic news. Devastating for our country because we've been lied to and misled. But now we know, Jeremy Raskin confirmed, Ray Epps was in on it. Ray Epps was in on it. All right, we'll take a break and be back. John Schlafly and John Zadrozny. It's John's Day. Back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you in a minute. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, it's uh, time to catch up with uh, John Zadrozny. John has been on the program before a couple different times, and we've been talking about different issues. He is the Deputy Director of Investigations over at America First Legal. Uh, he previously served in the White House as a Deputy Assistant to the President uh, on policy issues and worked up on Capitol Hill. He's an attorney, among other things, and uh, he is um, was down at the border. And we, we were texting back and forth. And he said, you know, you ought to, you ought to find out. You ought to let me tell you what's going on. I heard he sent me some details and I said, let's get on the radio. So welcome back, John. How are you? I'm great, Ed. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, you're welcome. So first of all, first impressions. I mean, again, I don't Have you been to the border before uh, compared to now? What just give me your first to sort of overall, not not uh, deputy director of investigations, just sort of you, your reaction. Well, I'll tell you, Ed, I've been there a bunch of times before, both in my official capacity, working for the previous administration and uh, just as a civilian And every time you go, you say, 
well, it's the border. I've seen this all before. I'm not going to see anything new. I can't possibly get angrier. And then you see new things and you get angrier. <laughs> so th- this, this last trip to me was perhaps, perhaps the most infuriating for a bunch of different reasons. But here's a quick rundown of what we saw that I thought was, was new and different. Um, one is that the, you know, we went to see, we were with local law enforcement who were courteous enough to drag us around and show us what they were seeing every day and what their problems were. Uh, we went to a part of the wall one day where there was wall, actual wall. In fact, that you could see that the dates were drawn or written in um, something at the top of the fence post where it showed where it was put up last, and it was October and November of 2020. Um, so that, but even that portion of the wall was unpoliced. There were no border patrol agents. Now it was the middle of broad daylight, so maybe they were right. they were doing any patrolling. In fairness, maybe they were doing it at night, right? But right. at the same time. There was nobody there. We saw one Border Patrol vehicle. It was at an intersection, a highway intersection, three miles away. And uh, so that that has an impact because if they're not there, you know, you say, big deal, there's a wall there, that's what it's for. Well, yes, but the wall is also designed to slow people down. And so the Border Patrol, if the, if the cartels that have um, control basically of that area know that Border Patrol is a wall, they have much greater operational freedom. They have much more ability to push people over walls and around walls. And, you know, it gives them basically the stability that they want as a business. It's really frustrating. Um, you know, we saw a lot of um, that people have seen this before. This is not quite news that the rusted metal fencing pieces yeah. that were never erected right. because the uh, Biden administration stopped dead on the nose at noon on January 20th, 2021. Right. Um, and there's actually what, what some people don't know is that th- those big piles, they're big. I mean, they're like 10, 12 feet tall. They were also pretty much up against giant piles of aggregate. They had gravel. They were going to finish the road. And one thing that the, the local guys told us was that not only have they not secured the border, but they've actually made it more dangerous for law enforcement, federal, state and local, uh, by not finishing the fence, because those giant piles of steel and aggregate basically create what the guys down there call a fatal funnel. You, if you are stuck in, you happen to be going east-west along the wall, for example, uh, and it's dark and you run across cartels, they'll shoot at you, they'll stab you. Uh, and the guys don't have north-south egress. There's nowhere to go. You're basically stuck in a, in like a, a tunnel where you can't get out of it. And so they've, the Biden administration has succeeded in making it more dangerous for our men and women on the ground um, by not putting those putting that gravel down into the roads and building a fence. They have floodgates open. That the floodgates. The Biden administration literally opened the floodgates, Ed. Um, so there's there are a lot of places where there's there are gullies where there's flash flooding when the, in the summer rains in Arizona. Um, and so you have to open them because otherwise you could damage the wall. But the whole point is you close them when the rain is over. Well, they have. And the, the guys were telling us that those floodgates had literally been open since the spring and there was no attempt to close them. And so basically you don't even have to scale a wall if you can walk through a six foot high uh, floodgate. Um, so that's what they're doing. Uh, yeah, and that's a lot of stuff. And there's more. The one terrible lesson, the main scary lesson we learned on this trip, Ed, was that, uh, you know, the Biden administration is not quite lying when they say the border is secure. The border is secure. It is securely run by the cartels. There is no <laughs> attempt to even assert pushback against them. We know for a fact that uh, we were told by the guys there that uh, the cartels have a scout presence, an armed scout presence in Coronado National Monument, which abuts the border. Um, so they that's U.S. soil, by the way. So right. you've got cartels with operational control of a main pass right on the border so they can help get their guys through. Uh, you know, we saw pictures of men in camouflage in broad daylight. We didn't see this in person, to be clear, but we, we know it happens. They know it happens. Um, they're not even waiting for nighttime now. They're just, you see a bunch of guys, and they're men, military-age men, dressed in military fatigues, walking in single file through the desert in broad daylight. Uh, yeah, they, they couldn't have done more damage. If you had 
written this up as a script. No one would have believed you that an administration would do everything it can to help the cartels be great again. But Joe Biden has succeeded in doing that. Uh, we're talking again with uh, John Zdrozny, and uh, he's over at America First Legal. Uh, talk to me for a second about that, uh, the cartels having operational control. I guess what I want to know is, is it really, do they really have control or is that frankly what, uh, and I know it's the same thing, but it, or, or is that what the, um, what the Mexicans want to happen? In other words, you know, um, the, the like how 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 do you how can you tell? Because even if it's the Mexican government, they're clearly dominated by the cartels, right? I mean, so what's the difference? I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, Ed, you make a great point. What I would say is is this, and I, by the way, I think this has to be part of a broader national conversation about the reality of the border. Uh, people tend to talk about Mexico as a friend and an ally and a modern country. They're not. They're none of those things. They are a second world narco state. They are like Colombia was in the 1980 when it was dominated by FARC. And no one pretended that Colombia was a first world nation then or a friend. And Mexico is neither right now. And we're pretending, you know, some people are at least that there's, you know, that they're, they're trying their best. They are dominated by the cartels. They are run by the cartels. They receive cartel money for all intents and purposes. They're inseparable. And so the only, I, I don't know what the solution is to that, but our solution as a nation that's to their north is to treat them less like a buddy neighbor and more like uh, somebody we have to watch a little more closely and take steps to deal with accordingly. And so the, the cartels, let's just assume for the sake of argument, the Mexican government is okay with everything the cartels they are doing are doing, and I think they are. Um, the cartels do have operational control of fenced and unfenced portions of the border. And the, the cartels, by the way, there's more than one. We say cartels, plural. Each Mexican state seems to be dominated by a different cartel. I believe uh, the state to the south of Arizona is dominated by the Sinaloa cartel. So that cartel basically controls all traffic through that region. You couldn't walk through there without their permission if you'd wanted to. And so we know for a fact that everyone who walks across U.S. border at that point is doing so with their blessing and paying them to get them there. Like I said, they've got people who are on U.S. soil, on federal property, no less, helping shepherd people through the weak spots, tell people where they can see Border Patrol if they're even there. Hey, they're coming. Go this way. Go half a kilometer west or whatever. Um, and another thing, too, it's worth pointing out is that the Biden administration is trying very hard to separate the immigration issue from the fentanyl issue. Right. But the cartels don't don't function that way. Ed. What they do is they know full well. They've got it down to a science. They know the Border Patrol, besides the fact that they know the Biden administration is corrupt, they also know the Border Patrol is saturated. And it's saturated by the sheer presence of illegal immigration flooding across the border. And this administration's directions are not to turn people back or, or take them back to Mexico or wherever, but to process them and get them into the country. So they know, the cartels know that if they send a wave, for example, of 50 illegal aliens across the border at a certain spot at 8.30 in the morning on a given day, the Border Patrol is going to show up like a routine, pick them up, take them back to their station and process them. And that's going to take a certain amount of time. And so the cartels know that they have that amount of time to get as much fentanyl as they can through. So if anyone's curious out there, if, if there's a fentanyl problem in your community and if you're listening to the show, there probably is because it's everywhere in the nation. Um, that's because of Joe Biden's immigration policies, because they are giving the cartels the, the operational flexibility to use immigration as sort of a blocking tackle to get as much fentanyl across the border and into your community. So that's what's killing our kids. 
Uh, the, uh, we're talking with John Zadrozny again, uh, deputy director of investigations over at America First Legal. Uh, for, uh, I, with regard to what could happen, a lot of people are saying, and I think this issue, by the way, the, the border and some of the coverage, uh, the, the combination of, you know, DeSantis Abbott sending, uh, people, sending, uh, these migrants that have been welcomed by the Biden administration up to New York and Martha's Vineyard and DC and all the other places has, has really uh, put the issue into people's awareness in a way maybe it wasn't, or maybe they're just talking about it more. But I do think it says sort of the, ca- the, the the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to November. That's my opinion. I think it'll be a red wave in large part because people see broken government in every way from the economy to immigration. However, what do you think and how can the um, the Republicans that may take power, how can they talk about what solutions are? I, is there a solution? I, I had Congressman Jason Smith on once uh, on a, on a, um, um, a collegians event for our college students for the Phyllis Slap Legals. And Congressman Smith said, you know, Ed, we appropriated money and the president signed it, you know, Trump. And before uh, when Biden got in, he just stopped spending it. And there's a billion plus dollars that could be used to secure the border. They're just not doing it. They decided not to. And he said, I want them to do what was passed by law. They didn't reverse it. They, you can't veto what already passed. You can't veto a law that's already been passed and made into law and appropriation. What, I guess my point, uh, John Zadrazny, what's what can voters hope happens if we get a new uh, set of leaders in? Or are we stuck with an executive that will be in power for at least two more years uh, doing what they want to do? And I think what that comment from that congressman sort of is a metaphor for the problem we're going to have with Congress, even if they do win control, which is Congress only will go so far, even when they do the quote unquote right thing. That's not just the only thing to do. For example, that scenario, that's yes, that's probably true. They probably allocated money for border border control, um, border security, fence construction, et cetera. And the Biden administration is not doing anything with it. OK, so the next step is you start cutting agencies funding, start cutting their fun little bureaus and all the little goodies these agencies get. And then it just squeezes them until they'll actually do what you want them to do. And then you might see some results. But I'm also not naive. You're right. The vast majority of corrections have to happen when someone else is running the executive branch and a lot of changes need to be made very quickly. I think we need to fire basically 80 percent of the D.C. based federal workforce. Ed, and I'm not really exaggerating with that number. <laughs> but but the, the more important thing, though, that has to be done now, and I encourage anyone who's working in a state capital and listening to this podcast is the solutions are at the, in the states right now. They're going to be in the states for the next couple of years. And honestly, they're going to be in the states for a generation because we can't rely on the federal government sometimes, even when Republicans are in charge. And the states have a lot of power here. The reality is states are the ones that are in control of what we call the pull factors. The pull factors are the, uh, the things that make illegal aliens come to the United States and stay. So, for example, driver's licenses, business licenses, the ability to earn money, putting their kids in school and getting a free public education. All of these things are magnets that draw illegal aliens to this country and have been doing so for decades. The states control those funds. They can turn them off tomorrow, and they should. Um, you know, Some of them are going to require resurrecting some court battles. Some of those can be done quietly and immediately by governors and attorneys general with guts. Um, but that needs to happen. You start doing that, and the reality is the federal and the state system will have more of an interplay as opposed to us sort of sitting here saying, please, Washington, help us, which is never really going to be the case. States need to get back into this game, and if anyone wants some help with that, if anyone works for a governor or AG and you need some help, please come to aflegal.org or give us a call, and I and the team over there at AFL would be happy to help you guys out in terms of taking your states back from illegal aliens. 
All right. Uh, John Zadrazny, as uh, always, thank you, especially for uh, the trip down there and some insight. John Zadrazny is the Deputy Director of Investigations over at America First Legal, aflegal.org, aflegal.org. You can go check it out there. Um, and he is accessible through that website if you hear something you want to talk about. Uh, thanks, John. Appreciate it very much. We'll talk again very soon. Thank you so much, Ed. Take care. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. When we come back, uh, we'll give you an update. John Schlafly will be with us also. His weekly column runs over at townhall.com and uh, is archived at phyllisschlafly.com. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Ed Martin uh, checking in with John Schlafly a little bit early this week, and we're getting an update. John is telling me about his column, which hasn't run yet, uh, which will highlight what happened in Italy. Um, John, first of all, Georgia Maloney, uh, she gave a speech. I don't know if you've seen it circulating. Well, I think I sent you the clip. Um, she talked about how the reason that she and her party were doing well was because they were going to defend God and country, and in particular, she singled out the family. And um, so she at 45 years old a young woman 46 maybe uh pretty extraordinary um character suddenly thrust on the world stage yes dad and uh it's it's fascinating and of course i don't understand italian as well as you by a long mm-hmm. shot but uh i've listened to some of her speeches with subtitles and she's a very dynamic charismatic speaker from what i can tell and um Honestly, I'm not sure if it was her words or just her whole manner and style, which has appealed to the public in an amazing way over there. And she's heads a party that was was, you know, had only four percent of the vote a few years ago. And now they're the lead party of the governing coalition. How amazing is that? Yeah, well, and I know you listen closely to the program, so you listened to yesterday's uh, wink, which you need to know. And and my, well, the point I made there, which was in, an interesting decision she and her party made four years ago to not enter into any of the coalitions, which would have given her some power. And, uh, instead, she stayed outside. And so she was the opposition while Matteo Salvini and uh, Berlusconi's party both entered into the coalitions and they got little pieces of the puzzle. Uh, Salvini for a period was the minister of the interior, which had to do with immigration. She didn't do that. Now, six years ago, seven years ago, maybe it was eight years ago. She did do that with Berlusconi and she ended up the minister for youth um, and served in some capacity. And so my point here was um, she stayed as the as the uh, contrast. And so as the country and especially the government flailed and failed, particularly on immigration, particularly on um the European uh, so-called European partnerships, her party became the party that was associated with not them. In fact, Salvini, uh, who polled four years ago at somewhere around 26 percent, 25 percent, he went down to eight or nine percent. And and from four percent, Maloney and her uh, uh, party went charging up to the mid 20s. So it's interesting. The bigger problem, though, John, is that these parties rise and fall. The coalitions rise and fall. She could be in office for a year or 18 months or something and 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 be sort of held hostage by some piece of the puzzle. Uh, on the other hand, the real uh, way you can tell she's on track 
is she's being called names by all the press. I mean, they're now she's a fascist. She's somehow uh, on it, on many issues. She's sort of a moderate libertarian leaning, and yet she's being called a fascist, Mussolini, etc. That part of it makes me think um, they're worried about her, the attack on her. Yes, uh, and of course the media is doing that, and also the uh, people in the E. European Union headquarters in Brussels have made some very disparaging remarks, which they should not do. Italy is the third largest economy in Europe. It's a very, very important country. And, you know, this is the, what the, how the people have voted. And admittedly, this the shifting coalitions of parties, many, multiple parties that they have in Italy is totally different from our system. But that's their system, and they're entitled to have their system, and that's the way they voted. But the people voted, and she came out on top. So um, that should be respected, don't you think, Ed? I do, I do. I know. I think. Look, I think that, and I think that in this modern era, they don't know what to do with someone who's an above-average communicator. They prefer, you know, like she's clearly, as you said, she's charismatic. She's uh, touching on these these issues of sort of sovereignty and, and Italian culture. So yeah, no, look, I mean, she she deserves her turn. Uh, the question is, if you think the deep state did a number on the Trump administration, uh, what will this or your, the European version of that do on her? Um, you know, we're watching sort of live uh, the crashing of the um, European economy and especially European uh, energy. You know, the Nord Stream 2 has is, is been um, looks like it's been damaged. And and so, you know, who knows what, what to make of it all? Um, John, the, the, the bigger uh, question here is the question in my mind is whether the immigration issue is rising fast um, between DeSantis and Abbott, the two governors who have sort of highlighted the issue. Now, the, the Italian election, which I don't know if it'll have a huge uh, factor on things, but the issue is in terms of American sensibility. The issue seems to be rising. I think if people if that issue rises in interest and attention, I think that's a, a real problem for the Democrats. Uh Yes. Now, I, I don't know what the numbers are in Europe. Of course, they had this tremendous wave of Muslim immigration about seven years ago. Um, right. And they're still working through that. And that's what caused a big change in Sweden. Correct. Now, Sweden Correct. elected a right wing party a couple of weeks ago. Right. And the immigration and the crime committed by the recent immigrants, um, you know, was a big part of that. Now we you know, now we look at what we're going on here and uh, Biden has basically opened our southern border and they're coming in by thousands every day. And we now have an estimated three to four million people who have been scattered all over the country. And, um, you know, just a few days ago, a uh, a uh, sheriff's deputy was killed uh, in a hit and run attack by an illegal immigrant who had been given a job and who had been previously deported but somehow came back and was working on a construction site and he apparently drove you know a piece of construction equipment and killed a sheriff's deputy i mean you know so incidents like this and there are other incidents like that incidents that took place in the new york subway recently involving illegal immigrants and uh and not to mention the homeless encampments, which are uh, all over our major cities of the uh, West Coast and the East Coast, not so much in the Middle West. But yes, I think the public it will 
bear that in mind when they go to the polls here. Uh, we're talking with John Schlafly. Uh, the, the thing that's the thing that is to me is missing uh, when you see the American coverage of the European issue is what you just put your finger on. In, in Sweden, they basically had a to- full ch- turnover of the government from center left, really left to center right on immigration. Period. In Italy, you can say it's other things, the economy, the drag of Europe. But the the top issue when you listen and look closely is the immigration question, because the Italians now there's lots of reasons for it. The Italian comeback as well. The Italians have for longer than America or other parts of the West have had a lower birth rate. You know, it's been going on for 40 years. And so they need, quote unquote, need immigration. But there's no doubt that there's there's the same thing with France. In France, there's there's an obvious reaction to the sovereignty question and the notion of a nation. That's what Maloney's uh, speech that got viral was a lot about about that. You know what our culture is, who we identify as. They cover it as something other than it's economics. They cover it as, uh, but it's really immigration and nationhood and nation and sort of what the nation means. Same thing in America. Uh, It's not so much. I mean, people I don't think people sit around and say, I don't like illegals. They say what's happening to our country and who's controlling it. And I think they're more and more fed up. Now, John, you're again a close observer of uh, politics and and elections for decades and decades, probably coming on 50 years. Uh, What do you see in November? We're six weeks away. What do you see happening? Um, Well, you know, the poll, we. Every day we had a new poll, and some of the polls have said that Joe Biden has somewhat recovered in his approval rating. I find that hard to believe, frankly. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to predict the final numbers. Many of the races are extremely close. Uh, but I think that, uh, you know, just because gas prices have come down a little bit, uh, you know, a lot of price, I think there is economic uncertainty that is expanding in the country and a number of other areas. The issue of interest rates, housing, uh, you know, necessities for households, rents, you know, the things are, you know, people are not optimistic and, uh, you know, and the, you know, the, the, the people who are in charge do not have the situation under control. And when that people have a sense of that, you expect that people make a change. And that's what I expect. People will want to make a change. John, again, you're you've been knee deep in uh, in our uh, in a lot of these issues. The media likes to say that abortion is a is a terrible uh, issue for Republicans this fall because of the Roe v. Wade reversal and the Dobbs decision. Do you see it that way? No, I think that, you know, first of all, the uh, the 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 majority, most of the people who support abortion live in states where abortion is all is legal. Uh, And uh, so, no, I don't think that's going to be an issue. And, uh, you know, maybe there was a flurry of interest a couple of months ago, but it has declined. So, no, I don't think that's going to be decisive in any of the battleground states. I really don't. 
Uh, what about up in Pennsylvania? Pennsylvania is a one place where it's harder for me to see uh, how not not on necessarily on abortion, but on these on the, on the broadly on the issues. You got Dr. Oz, who's obviously a very, very successful communicator against Fetterman, who seems really, uh, I don't know, the generous term is beleaguered, if not, uh, you know, impaired. Uh, and then Mastriano versus Shapiro. Shapiro is certainly getting the full on, um, you know, uh, uh, Democrat moderate, you know, oh, he's a real good guy attorney general all that stuff and mastriano's being marginalized where do you see that one do you have a sense of that i know you've you and i both have spent a bunch of time in pennsylvania well it's unfortunate that the republicans don't have really the money to uh compete effectively i mean i'm it's uh, i i honestly dr oz should be wiping up the floor with his opponent and i really don't understand why that race is even close uh and as you say, Dr. Oz has had decades of experience communicating uh, on TV, and he ought to be able to be connecting with the people. And And the sad, uh, really, shell of an individual who's running against him and who I, I honestly don't understand why uh, that race is close. I don't. It's hard to understand how they haven't uh, well, but they haven't asked him to uh, to, changed out that candidate. I mean, it really is a a strange situation, although I guess if you ran Joe Biden from his basement, um, you figure, you know, you're just running something that people aren't going to shake their hands anyway. I I guess it's a different world. It's it's, kind of crazy. It's being done on social media and other other places. Uh, John, did you follow the um, the 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 pro-life father of seven who um, I guess was in a pushing match with an activist in front of an abortion clinic and offered to go in and talk to the FBI who has declined. And then recently 30 FBI agents stormed his house and took him away. Have you followed that one? That was just so outrageous. Uh, Ed, and it's just one more example of how the FBI has been weaponized uh, by the Biden administration to carry out the agenda that president Biden declared in front of his gruesome red backdrop a few weeks ago when he basically declared war on MAGA Americans. And, you know, so I guess, you know, uh, a Christian gentleman peacefully marching on the sidewalk uh, to counsel people not to have abortions, I guess that's now been demonized as a MAGA American. I mean, that's where we are now. Well, and, he, and even even if you say and there's some reporting now, I don't know whether to believe any of it. But even if you say that he the man um, pushed a protester in front of a, a, a an abortion clinic, let's say that happened twice. They say, let's say it happened. That's that's assault. OK, it's battery, assault and battery, probably. Well, but and, but Ed, the context is he was defending his. I know, son. I know, I know. But, I'm, but let's just pretend the worst case scenario at that point, they have somehow invoked a federal law. And you talk about federalized speech and conduct there's a federal law about protesters in front of places you know this was passed aimed at abortion clinics and trying to insulate people from that but let's say all that's true at that point there's no reason it's like it's like storming roger stone's house at the early morning with all these things it's clearly done to intimidate and send a message because there's no reporting that this guy um had had other issues had you know had brandished a weapon or anything Right. There's nothing. There's not even like with Hunter Biden. There was there was known reports of missing handguns in his life. 
be, before none of that so it's an extraordinary um escalation of the optics of intimidation by the fbi i mean at this point it's the fbi it's not some local sheriff in a blue state or even andrew cuomo when he was governor or attorney general his people it's the fbi i mean we've gone so far beyond the pale uh, yes, and that federal law, the FACE law, was passed by Bill Clinton in his first two years before the Republicans took control of the Congress. And uh, right, and it was based on the, you know, the the concept was to establish a buffer zone outside of abortion clinics. But uh, but you know, we've had many many cases, and some have gone to the Supreme Court because the sidewalk is supposed to be an area of free speech. And what could be more free speech than for someone to stand on the sidewalk and express their opposition to abortion and encourage prospective patrons not to go in there? Right. And, uh, you know, that cannot be made illegal under Supreme Court decisions. And yet here we have the FBI, you know, with guns drawn, uh, creating a national issue out of uh, that type of activity. It's, yeah. it's horrible. It should it's, not be done. It's, it's wild. It's wild. All right, John Schlafly, everybody. His column available. He writes it with his brother, the Schlafly Report, available at townhall.com and also over at phyllisschlafly.com where it's archived, and you can check it out all there. i got to run, John. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. I Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Have you noticed that there are all kinds of labels on food these days? You may have seen food in the grocery store labeled as natural, organic, or GMO-free. Now, we could argue for days over whether these labels make a product healthier or tastier. However, I've yet to meet a person who believed that the quality of a food product was improved because the farm on which it was grown employed union workers. Yet, H.R. 8450, cleverly packaged as the Healthy Meals, Healthy Kids Act, would create incentives for schools that source their school lunch foods from producers that have unionized labor, participate in animal welfare programs, obtain something called worker justice certification, or produce food in an environmentally sustainable manner. No child will be able to taste the difference in the food, nor will any of this food be even a smidgen healthier. All of these goals are purely political, masked by a label touting healthy meals. In fact, the bill takes matters a step further by actively prioritizing politics over health for our students. The bill would create a program for schools to completely cut meat out of the menu. Because this program has never been tried at this scale before, there's no way of knowing if students can get a wholesome meal from a completely vegetarian diet. Even if growing boys and girls could theoretically get enough protein from an all-vegetable diet if they eat everything on their plates, no teacher or lunch lady can force veggie burgers down the throats of hundreds of kids. If kids don't want something, they don't eat it, and that means less nutrition and more food waste. This kind of experimentation on our children is rotten to the core. From the classroom to the bathroom, our schools are quickly becoming political battlegrounds. Once the left has politicized the lunchroom, there will be no place where the needs of students are put first. H.R. 8450 is an insult to the lunch ladies throughout America who work hard to provide tasty and nutritious meals to growing students. They don't deserve more federal government oversight. 
I raise my milk carton in appreciation for their services, and I hope parents, teachers, and even politicians everywhere will do likewise. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The liberal agenda is corrupting classrooms in colleges and schools across the country. If you're a parent, teacher, or administrator who really cares about our children, we promise to keep you informed at phyllisschlafly.com. And let us hear from you at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Got to wrap things up. Let's just say something about sexism. Sexism. I've never seen such sexism. The prime minister of Italy, the third most, uh, the third largest economy in Europe, just has had a woman win. And by all accounts, she did it. She was the one who engineered it. She was the one who had the strategy. She was the one who had the leadership. And Georgia Maloney won. And All the feminists are gone. All the media is gone. All they can do is claim that she is like a dead guy from 75 years ago. And it doesn't matter that she has her own opinions. It doesn't matter that she has her own education. It doesn't matter that she has her own family. It doesn't matter that she has her own success. None of those things matter. They believe, because they don't like her positions, that she is a derivative of some man. Now, if, let's say... Hillary Clinton had won for president. Thank the good Lord she didn't. But had she won for president and we had had the media say, oh, well, you know, all she is is a socialist like FDR. She's not really anything because she's like FDR. She's just on FDR, FDR. That People would have said, you're sexist. She did it herself. She broke the glass ceiling. Now, I actually think Maloney doesn't care. Maloney actually is, when you hear her talk, she talks about the culture, the nation of Italy, the people, the future. She's pretty darn amazing. But the feminists are losing their mind, and they're showing that they're frauds. They're showing that they're absolute positive frauds, that the feminists and the media and others will not celebrate a woman for succeeding because they don't like her positions. It's not surprising. It's not Hypocrisy is not surprising. It's just worth noting. It's worth noting. All right. Uh, we better take a break. We better go. We got to go. We got to go. Thank you to Noah Dingley, our great producer. Thank you, as always, to uh, Joanna Spilger, associate producer. And thank you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.